0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and happy to give you actionable ideas to elevate your current or perhaps your future nonprofit organization. Thanks for listening. If you want to be a nonprofit leader or maybe just more effective in the role you're in now, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector And if you would do me a favor, find the share button. Usually it's within the episode graphic on the device you're holding right now and share this episode with one other person. We'll continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had a wonderful conversation in this episode with Dave Lennox who brings fantastic experience in the nonprofit sector as he served as a state-level executive director for nonprofits across the United States, in West Virginia, North Carolina, and in the state of Washington. And that's just part of his career journey. And now his work through the Voltus Group in the Seattle area keeps him on the front line of all of the nonprofit leadership issues that I bet you're contemplating right now. Given his experience, I knew he'd be the perfect person to talk about the key challenges facing individual nonprofit leaders as well as the organizations they serve and what are they doing to better accommodate the disruptions that face all of us in this COVID environment and the transitions that inevitably occur. Also, did miss the opportunity to ask Dave about some of the key issues that are likely in part of your organization's discussion, board development. DEI, and what are the best candidates doing to display their talent in terms of executive searches happening right now? All this and much more. This is episode number 141. Make sure you go to the podcast or the news page at pattenmcdowell.com and you'll see the show notes for this episode and all of the resources we discussed, as well as more information on Dave and the great work he's doing through the Valtis Group in the Pacific Northwest. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. We're on all of the social media platforms, including YouTube, and you can get on our email list and make sure you get free resources that we're putting out every week, including direct links to episodes just like this one. And as always, if you'd like to talk about your nonprofit leadership journey, schedule some time to talk about it. We'd be happy to discuss your nonprofit organization and its strategic planning or fundraising activities or perhaps more importantly, your leadership journey, especially if we can help you with some of our coaching, training, or our unique mastermind program. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dave Lennox. Dave, thank
1: you for joining me on The Path. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it.
0: Uh, Excited to reconnect with you, Dave. You and I go way back in our career journeys. We'll try not to put a timeline exactly on that, Uh, but you've had a fantastic career in the sector. Obviously, you and I have a shared affinity for Special Olympics, and you've gone on to do wonderful things, literally allowing you to look at both the U.S. and an international perspective on nonprofit leadership. And of course, I think your work now at the Valtus Group has allowed you to bring together all of those great experiences and knowledge you've gained in fact, as you look at nonprofit leadership now and leaders in particular, what's the biggest challenge you're seeing right now?
1: You know, I, you know, I think the, the biggest thing that people are facing is just having the confidence to know what to do and and the humility to know that you probably don't really know all the answers. Um, I think Good if point. you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, right now I see leaders struggle and it's, you know, when I talk to them, it's like, you need to have, Kind of a combination of the three C's, you know, you courage, confidence, and communication. Yep. you know, have the courage to do what you know you need to do or you think you need to do. Have the confidence to believe in yourself. You yes. know, you're there for a reason. You know, do it, but communicate. You know, let people know and learn when you communicate. I think those. I think that's the biggest thing is that so many people feel like, oh, I've got to know the answer. You and know, to your and point, people, the yeah. the humility. Yeah.
0: Necessary to admit. Maybe I don't have the answer, but I'm willing to ask the good questions.
1: Yeah. And learn the answer. (laughs) So you can use it next time.
0: Well, we'll talk more about this day because I know part of the work you do at the Vaultus Group is around searches and executive and leadership searches. But let's talk about that first. What exactly is the Vaultus Group and what are you doing there?
1: So Vaultus Group is designed to kind of help uh, organizations, we call it social sector organizations because not all of our clients are, are not for profit. Some of them are, are for profit or government or something, but but they're in transition, you know, and Voltus is a, is a term that does that references making this kind of transition. So we have three real lines of work we do. One is that we provide interim CEOs or executive directors for organizations that find themselves in that transition. Uh, the interim might keep the wheels on the bus while you're doing it. And it also might help right the ship, you know, so kind of helps the the board have a little time to say, okay, what are we doing and where are we going and who are we looking for? So they don't just jump immediately into a search um, and do that kind of from an emotional perspective. They can do it now from a very empirical perspective and say, okay, here's where we are, here we wanna go. Now we know who we're looking for. Uh, And then we also do the search stuff. so. Um, ideally, if we've done both of them, then we can very easily tell candidates, "Okay, here's where this organization is. Here's where they're going. Here's who they're looking for. Um, here's the, you know, the 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 warts that every organization has." So we can do that in good faith. Um, so we'll do all that. And then also we do project work, which is like might be board development. We might be able to help with board recruitment or strategic planning or organizational assessments, you know, things like that. Just whatever an organization needs when they find themselves in a position of either thinking they might need to or they find that they know they need to make a transition in leadership.
0: I'm sure you have this conversation a lot, Dave, with nonprofits, I guess, in particular, there's an urgency, isn't there, when a, a transition occurs at the top, uh-huh. we, need, we need to hurry and hire the successor. So yeah. you're making the case, though, I guess, right? Don't rush into it. Or what is the nature of that yeah. conversation?
1: Well, especially now with COVID, what we're finding is, you know, there's there's something has happened. You know, it could be that, a, a, you know, a long-serving executive director is leaving or CEO is leaving and the board's like, oh, no, oh, no, we counted on them to know everything, <laughs> You know, exactly. uh, and So they, so they're. Oh, so then they immediately rush out and they go, "How do we find someone who's just like the 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 saint that we had before?" Yeah. Um, that almost never works. Um, or someone they've they've had to let the the executive director go. You know, something's happened. And so now there's bad blood, and they're like, okay, we need someone who's the exact opposite of who we had before. Overreacts. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it's a, it, I call that the pendulum. Yep. You know, it's like you're either we love where we were, so we want to just stay right exactly where we were. And or the, oh my God, we hated where we were. So we want someone who's going to take us the complete opposite direction. Both of those are backward focused. Yep. Right. So what we do is we can come in and say, you know what, take a breath. You've got a seasoned, you know, we've got 25 consultants who have all been not-for-profit executive directors. They've been in all different kind of sectors. So, they can come in and just, because it's not our organization, it's your organization, but we know what we're doing. You know, we know how to look yeah. at organizations. We know how to look at the structure. We know how to look at the leadership models. And then say, okay, here's here's the deal. You know, you need to increase the, the delegation stuff. You need to maybe look at a distributed leadership model <laughs> that, that right. will kind of help you be more effective um, and then can kind of help the board understand this is an opportunity. You've got a transition. Don't make it a crisis. Make it an opportunity, you know, and where do you want to go? Now you've got, you've kind of got the, a, a break here. You can take some time. You don't have to rush. But let's really look at not only what your mission is, but how you deliver it. Um, is that the way you want to deliver it? With COVID, do you need to change the way you deliver it? Yes. Is your new reality going to be completely different from what your old reality was? And give you someone who you can trust to say, okay, I'm going to write the ship. And then once you get it kind of righted, which usually takes us a, a couple of months, you know, then we can say, okay, now we know who you're looking for. Now, now that we've got it down, um, here's where you still have some issues, but here's where you've got all these opportunities, you know, (laughs) to go head that way. Look for someone who's going to take you where you want to go. Don't be reacting to the past.
0: And you're setting up the next person for success, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Because then you say, okay,
1: now now we're searching for a visionary leader who has the vision for where the board wants to go. And we know there's a match as opposed to just someone who's available and has experience in a few of the right areas. Now we can say, okay, we really need someone who's going to go this way because the staff's got this part. You know? yeah. And that's, I think our consultants find over and over again, undervaluing the staff that's below the, the, the executive level is 90% of the problem when we go in. It's really? like, actually, there are really smart people in your organization, especially in not-for-profits. You know, usually, yeah, they're down there and they're they're plugging away, they're doing their thing, they care about the organization. If you believe in them and empower them, you know, a, a lot of your problems can be solved and you can get to where your executive now can be more visionary and do more, more fundraising and more entrepreneurial kinds of things because they're not, is stuck in the weeds.
0: So your interim process is, I guess, very intentional about having conversations with the yeah. leadership team beyond just the executive and or uh, what does that look like? Interviews, literally, and other conversations?
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just finished doing one myself because I, you know, as, as I was going to take over this company, I was like, well, I need to do this. So I, I stepped in and, you know, really getting into first working with the board. Does yeah. the board understand their role? Do they understand governance and oversight and, and what that looks like tangibly, you know, how do you, how do you really, what, what kind of reports should you be looking for? What would make you feel comfortable that you know what's going on in this organization and you can see ahead, you know, we try to get the board thinking, you know, five to 10 years ahead, you know, are you doing anything now that might cause you a problem five to 10 years from now? or is there something you could do right now that would create a huge opportunity five to 10 years now right Right. now so you know put yourself that's where the board needs to be if they're finding themselves too much in the day-to-day then we kind of help them with "Mm, that you need you need to get to a point where you have trust in your leadership to be able to handle the day-to-day so doing that but then at the same time you're doing that you flip over to the staff side And say, okay, what have you been through? What you I would start every staff meeting with the senior staff where I was doing the interim to say what's keeping you up at night? Yeah. You know, what's yeah, what's what what is, is bothering you? I don't know your your business. I know how to do organizational management. I know how to run an organization, but I need to understand the passion. I need to understand what you care about so deeply that that it really worries you. Um and for the first month or so it was am I going to lose my job? Yeah, exactly. You know, is is the organization going to survive? They, they we forget sometimes that there are people who care passionately about what we do that are on our staffs and they haven't been communicated with so they don't know. You know, is the world coming to an end for me? Is you know, and so being able to say, well, I Here's here's what I know and giving them an example of, of transparent communication, um, but also meaningful participation in the direction of the organization and kind of getting that blend so that when you by the time you're ready to do a search, the board is confident that they're moving in the right direction. The staff knows how to keep the wheels on the bus and keep things moving day to day. But they all feel like they're connected. And then you need that interim piece. You need you need the, the in-between piece, which is the CEO. That is the traffic cop between the the present moving. and the future. Yep. Yeah, it's right. yeah. That that's the and so that's um and that's that's really rewarding when when you see that happen. It's um it's it's a wonderful thing.
0: Well, and I applaud the kind of credibility you bring by literally tackling some of these interim projects, as I know your consulting team has done quite a few. Yeah. And of course, you bring a credibility, Dave, from your multiple executive experiences. Uh, Many that I'm directly familiar with, Special (laughs) Olympics. But um, why did you get into the nonprofit space? Which, of course, I think brings the credibility you have now.
1: Well, you know, it was interesting when I started off. um, I was a teacher. I was teaching emotionally disturbed students in the Ozark Mountains. Um, I can do a full Ozark accent if you would like. (laughs) Um, My people talk like this. I try not to. Uh, but, um, so I was doing that and I started volunteering for special Olympics and my students in my classroom didn't qualify for special Olympics because they didn't have intellectual disability. They had emotional disability. Right. Um, so I began to see two different aspects of, of this community of the disability community. And I thought, you know, this is such a, they they're such vibrant, Personalities and there's talents and there's there's passions and 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 everyone's missing it. All, all they can see is either oh they're learning slower or you know they have bad behavior or whatever and they weren't seeing the people. And I kind of developed a passion for that. Absolutely. Um, so then I was I moved from the Ozark Mountains up to Kansas City and was teaching uh, in a um, high school there. And uh, Special Olympics came to me and said, hey, you want to do this um, thing? And of course my mother thought it was stupid. <laughs> she didn't many, see that as a
0: career path for you, I guess? She did not.
1: She Well, she wanted me to be a lawyer. So when I said I'm going to be a special ed teacher, she thought that the world had come to an end. And then, yeah. when, then when I did the almost impossible task of taking a pay cut from teaching to go from oh teaching gosh. to working for Special Olympics, she was sure that she had failed as a mother.
0: Um, <laughs> she came around. I, I she trust, did. But yeah, she right. did come
1: around. You know, so, but that kind of got me started on not just not-for-profit work, but advocacy work, um, and kind of seeing because that's what people in nonprofit worlds do. Is is I think they they tend to see what the rest of the world doesn't see. Yep. And brings it and and elevates it. To, um, so that you can see the value and uh, the potential.
0: And that's something you brought to other outside of the Special Olympics uh, world. Obviously, you were successful at multiple stops at Special Olympics. But I wonder, Dave, what do you bring from those experiences? Both leading Washington State, leading North Carolina, leading West Virginia, um, and, and obviously being part of Special Olympics International. I wonder that what is the collective experience brought you that you still bring to the table now?
1: Listening to people yeah. and and not assuming you know the answer. Um, whether I was, you know, because being the CEO for West Virginia Special Olympics, which I did just before going to North Carolina, um, that was very different than North Carolina. They, the the whole ethos of the, the volunteer community there um, in West Virginia, they were very, very proud of being from West Virginia. They wanted the absolute best because they wanted to prove to the world that they were not backwoods hicks right you know, That they right. they were smart they knew what they were doing they chose to live there this was their heritage That was great pride was the huge thing there north carolina had a whole different feel to it you know it had different regions it was a much larger state you know and there were there were different things and you and i i found in north carolina that it wasn't it wasn't one thing it was probably three or four different things that right. motivated people um, working in South Africa or Tanzania or Myanmar or <laughs> Syria. You know, it was the same thing. You know, the first thing I had to do was kind of figure out what's important to these people. Why? Why are they in in spite of and in the face of all the things that they're dealing with, especially in third world countries or, or countries that were at war, you know, why this? you know why you know, and once you figure that out you unleash a potential um because you heard people are heard right and they they all of a sudden feel like oh wait i'm not crazy <laughs> you know this is it is true that my son who is nonverbal actually has wisdom and i thought it but now someone else sees it And then there's, so that you get some momentum going then. So I think that that's the one thing I've taken away is that every situation I go into, I have something to learn from every person I meet. And then you just, ramp that up to an organizational level. Every organization has its own ethos. Every every volunteer board of directors, every staff, every core of volunteers has a reason they're doing it. And if you hear it and listen to it, you unleash that potential. And then the good director or executive manages it all you know yeah. it's it's it, it's you know just how do you keep all that energy contained then and working together so they don't work against each other and that's the magic of nonprofit management. Yeah,
0: I love that. And and what a positive way to approach any organizational leadership opportunity, right? Is there something for me to learn here. And back to your earlier point, right? I think sometimes we feel the insecurity of needing to have the answers when we start as a leader and you're saying treat it as an opportunity to learn and that'll only enhance your leadership further.
1: Exactly. Exactly, you know, take a breath.
0: Right. <laughs> you know, right?
1: Take a breath. You, you know, and um, I, you know, it's the whole idea of going into consulting for me was just, you know, I'd had people say this, you know, oh, you should be a consultant. You should be a consultant. You've got something. I was like, I am not about to tell anyone that I know the answers and that I am the solution to all right. their problems. That's it's right. not going to work. Um, but I, I can listen and help them find the solutions.
0: Yeah, co-create, right? I mean, you're you're a great collaborator on that point. And well, you know, in speaking of transitions that now you're managing, um, are are there characteristics you've tried to identify? In other words, when it's time to leave an organization, you and I talk to a lot of nonprofit leaders that are pondering that: when is it time to move? When is it time to move up? Move out? Have 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 there been certain questions you pose to yourself as you've made your journey?
1: Yeah, you know, I I developed early on this kind of um, especially once once I had actually realized I had a job that I could probably keep and do for a while, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> you know, because there was that time, of, you know, like as everyone, security, their, right. yeah, their young career, where you're like, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> am I really going to do something for the rest of my life? Um, I put myself on five year stops, and I would say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for five years. And when you get to the CEO level, certainly you have organizational goals, and that's great and fine. But I always had my own personal goals. You know, what's going to, to, you know, what, what do I think I can accomplish in this role in this organization over the next five years. So the, the the best example I can do is, is the most recent one, which was Special Olympics, Washington. Yeah. So I came in and I could see that, that programmatically the infrastructure just wasn't there. You know, it had, it had deteriorated over time for a bunch of reasons, um, but they just, they had no programmatic infrastructure. There's no way they could grow. Um, so, and the other thing was that money was, they had enough to kind of keep things as they were going, but they certainly didn't have enough to dream. So I said, okay, in five years, I'm going to, I want, my goal is that I'm going to get them to a point that they have infrastructure that is sustainable, um, you know, and can handle the turnover, which, as you know, <laughs> when yeah. you're dealing it's with a volunteer organization, turnover is a reality, yep. reality. Um and leave them with enough cash on hand to be able to weather a storm and, and feel like they're comfortable and they can, they can be more entrepreneurial about how they approach the mission and the vision and the future. So I got to that five year point. Um, we had the infrastructure in place um, it's still kind of working its way through, but it's, it's there. People understand it. That's all fine and good. Yep. Then we got to the point we had money that Okay. So there's money there. Then I had to look to the future. And that's the key is, okay, now I've got to set another goal <laughs> for yeah, another right. five years. Right. And that's where that's, that's that critical moment as a leader where you have to look and say, okay, where does this organ, where should this organization be in five years? And you can have multiple answers to that. But then the question is, do I have the energy, the passion, um, and the patience (laughs) to get this organization from where we are now to that vision of what I see five years from now? And in my case, I was like, you know, I've done this for like 40 years now. (laughs) And, you know, I've done a lot. And the world's changing, you know, COVID's changing a lot of things, but the world, you know, the, the dynamics of, of why people volunteer is changing. Uh, young people are way more powerful and, and influential than they used to be in this yes. system, which is for good. Yes. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe it's not my, maybe my vision is too mired in, in what's going on. And I see, if I really care about this organization, I think I need to let it go. And I need to let some new leaders take on, and I'll go off and and you know help some other people and do some other things. But I had to be honest with myself, and I think that's what everyone needs to do: is kind of you know know where you are, know where your organization could be, and then do a real honest gut check of do I really want to do this, you know, um, and not if the answer is well I can hang on for another five years and just keep things the way they are and it'll be comfortable. Shame on you not a good answer shame on you, yeah, you need but
0: to. given the mission of your organization right and yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you're doing passion
1: nonprofit people are passionate we we get things done when no one thought anything could be done. Uh, we, you know we bring hope to to people no matter what it the 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 mission is you know we exist because we bring hope to people who were lost at some point that's the reason we exist. So, if you ever get to the point where you're going, oh, I'm going to just help and sustain this, and, and, and then no, step aside.
0: That's you good. Know, I, and I wonder too, Dave, to some of our colleagues that, and maybe there's ego here. Well, in fact, not maybe, there is ego here when a nonprofit leader says, well, but I don't know if they can survive without me. You know, I've been kind of <laughs> the key leader. Uh, do you run into that? And, and or I guess what you're offering is some reassurance that, hey, it's okay to step away.
1: Yeah. It was funny. I was on a call the other day um, of a lot of people who are interims, you know, not just with our, not with just Valtus, but, you know, other, you know, people in the field. And we were talking about turnover and, you know, oh, gosh, you know, turnover is great, you know. And so I kind of raised the question. I said, okay. You know, down in the ranks, we have to understand that that there are career paths. So you have to, you know, turn over something that should be happening. People should be growing. They should be changing. They should be, you know, being ready for new skills and new positions. And so we, you know, let's let's enable that. Let's, you know, help them. Uh, it's not a horrible thing when someone's moving on because they got more skills and they're going to move their channel. But how many times do we find ourselves in an interim chair because the CEO stayed too long? Yep. And everyone's like, yep, yep. A lot <laughs> of nodding of heads then. Everyone's right? like, yeah, they do. You know, it gets comfortable. Um, it could, you know, And the board's okay because they're not having to think or do a whole lot. Yep. You know, the, the Sky or woman's been there for how long and everything seems to be running and, oh, this is great. Um, but that's not why we exist. Yes. You know, we don't exist to be comfortable. We exist to be on the edge. And what have we not un- uncovered yet, you know, that we need to do. And so if there's not a hunger there, you need to move.
0: I love that. And again, you have the kind of self-imposed discipline, the five-year plan, yeah. which I'm, I'm interpreting. I mean, you have to leave it five years, but, no, but it no. is a discipline, though, isn't it, at the five-year yeah. mark?
1: Yeah, I stayed at Special Olympics International for 17 years. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and every five years, I've and then it was like the first five years I was doing self-advocacy. The second five years I was doing sports for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the in other five years I was doing a bunch of different organizations. But then I was, I really kind of drifted into more, you know, nation building kinds of, of, of things outside the U.S. Um, and ended up being CFO for the organization for a while just because they needed help. But I was committed to making a difference and um, not afraid to take on new roles and not afraid to take on new challenges. Um, so it's, you know, but, but I got to a point where I was like, hmm, yeah, it's time think, to move. Yeah, I think I'm, I've and, and this was a move back. It's like, I want to have, I want to have more fun in the field again. Right. And I think people need to be, give themselves permission to do that. Say, you know, I knew that I could go back. I'd run two states before. So I was like, yeah, you know, this would be fun, you know, and get to be closer to the athletes and closer to the, the families and the mission and games and and all that. And I was like, yeah, I've got, well, I've got a, another five year stint in me. I think I'll, you know, let's just go back and have some fun. So um, it allows it puts you in control of your life as opposed to kind of being, you know, at the whim of other people.
0: And I think a lot of leaders, you're right, they kind of see a singular ladder, so to speak, and you had climbed the ladder to the international office, so to speak, but Mm -hmm. you remind us that maybe the ladder goes in different directions, or there are multiple ladders, including one that maybe goes back into an area of programmatic passion that clearly you had for Special Olympics.
1: Yeah, yeah, and society says you need to keep climbing up and, you know. Well, screw society you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Some Yeah>. society <laughs> doesn't always know right society society isn't going to be in your head. I, you are yeah. so, yeah. so yeah. you've got to live with fun. those answers, yeah right? exactly, yeah. exactly. So have fun right. with
0: them. Dave, you mentioned the interim experiences allow organizations to entertain perhaps very different leadership models, like and there, you said there in the northwest, lots of organizations are entertaining the distributed leadership model. Talk yeah. about that. What is it, and why are you seeing more organizations going that way?
1: You know, it, it's it's really an interesting thing. I hadn't really thought of it, and and I think some of us that are older are like, oh my god, one more thing to learn. <laughs> you know what are what are we going to do with this? Right. Um, but it's like Jesus, is there not? I thought we knew. Um, it's really I think distributed leadership now when we talk about that, it has multiple manifestations. So the idea is is exactly what you would think about is is that there are multiple people and you've got decision making and authority that is distributed around the organization okay. okay so so one model would be that you have, say, co-directors and they're co-equal CEOs, one doing programmatic stuff, another one doing kind of back of the house stuff, you know, so, you know, one's mission forward, the other one is support services. So think finance, HR, the fundraising, you know, all those kinds of things. Fine. So you you allow those two people and they just kind of agree that they're going to work together, but they are equals. Okay, so that's that's one one, one version one, right one right. version of it yes um, then you can get into where you've got an organization and it depends on how your organization looks another one is that the various departments now have taken on because they have kind of unique um, kind of mutually exclusive um, roles to play in the delivery of the mission so you've got one who's handling you know, I'll, I'll take a, a domestic violence organization, which is the, one of the most recent ones that I was working with. Right. Um, so one handles the shelter. OK, how do you do that? And that's that person. And they they have control of. And I think this is where you kind of it starts to that the meat of it comes out is they have control to run that shelter Okay. the way they know that shelter needs to be run. Then you've got the. Uh, services support services person like legal support services and they run okay these are the things that we can do in the legal support services thing another in a housing area another in the fundraising and administration area and those people then agree they're all going to run and the board says okay that's fine we're going to let these people kind of run these together you know and they will allow them to just all get together but we won't have a ceo
0: but yeah, how do you break ties, Dave? I guess that's my as yeah. ponder well, that's... And you already are anticipating this, I know. But yeah, here in how lies do we deal the problem.
1: with problem. Yeah. <laughs> so I was on a call the other day with with a bunch of our consultants because there are six of our consultants who are, are actively right now dealing with this discussion on on with their clients about should we go to a distributed leadership model? And I said, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna play the boomer moment here. <laughs> because i'm the the baby boomer in the group and who who ultimately gets to decide and who ultimately gets fired if it goes wrong right i mean let's let's just call a spade a spade here yeah this is not this is the way how we do this so you know and and they're like well that's the problem i'm like yeah that's what i thought so it's a lot of times now what you're seeing is this third model of it, which is what I really just think of as delegation. Okay. But, you know, and just like I said earlier, believe in the people who are running the aspects of the organization. So in that domestic violence example that I had, the CEO sits and says, okay, I hear you, shelter person. This is, you've got your budget, you've got your thing, you're making decisions about the programming that's going on there and all that. But let me be the one who is playing traffic cop about how do we meld the legal services with what you're doing how do we how do we blend this all together and make sure that we're getting the biggest bang for any buck that we spend in doing this so it's really more of a giving people authority in the various aspects of your organization knowing that the ceo yeah, the CEO ultimately is going to have to make a decision.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Okay, but they're not doing it. It's not a everyone do what I say because I'm the big boss. It's that I'm the big boss. And so I have brought together the people who know the various aspects of our organization. Talk to me and talk to each other so that we're doing this collectively and there's distributed leadership around the organization. So the focus, when we say distributed leadership, a lot of people think distributed authority, and and you need to kind of from our experience, that. yeah, yeah, that it's it's really what you're looking for is to maximize the leadership potential of the people who are below the CEO level, and say, hey, let's bring everyone together and let's let's do this and everyone kind of develops an empathy for the CEO of I get it you've got to make a decision here's my best pitch for why it should be this way here's finances best pitch for why it shouldn't be that way here you know. And, uh, but ultimately we understand you've got to make this decision, it allows you to be more transparent in their leadership of the how you run the organization when you do things that way. Um, but it also allows for the CEO not to have to be, and the, the organization isn't limited by what the CEO knows.
0: Right, right. You've empowered that next tier of leadership, haven't you? Yeah.
1: And then and then, if you fully embrace this concept of distributed leadership, it doesn't just stop there. You go all the way through your organization.
0: Top to bottom. Ev- kind every of? single yeah.
1: person. The the hourly person who's working a night shift at that shelter feels like they have you know, some kind of authority. They feel like they've got some way because you want them to be thinking about how do we advance this, this mission? And if they were the CEO, what would they do?
0: Yeah, right. Um,
1: and so, so it becomes more of a management philosophy as opposed to a management structure.
0: Gotcha. So there's so, still someone clearly in charge in that instance, but there's a leadership lesson there, it sounds like, very clear.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, there are some places that have been able to pull off like co-executive directors. And I think if the organization lends itself to a very clear line between those two, that can be. But, you know, there's also human nature. People are wonky. Right.
0: (laughs) And they're used to it. Right. Are used to a kind of a hierarchy, I would imagine, in many organizations.
1: Well, and, you know, all it takes is, you know, someone, you know, eating fish in the lunchroom, you know, and the next <laughs> thing you know, everything like like, now we all hate that person, you Yeah, know, right, so, right. so we don't like any of their ideas, you know, so I think that, you so you kind of have to guard against human nature there, but I think the other thing that's driving this whole thing is that, I mentioned earlier, young people have so much more influence than they used to. Um, We say in the volunteer world, you know, when, you know, back in the day, (laughs) uh, when, you know, it used to be within organizations, you worked your way up, you know, you'd start volunteering for an organization, and you'd like in Special Olympics, you'd hand out lunches or you'd, you know, do, do traffic control or you might be an escort or something. And you worked yourself up to the point that you felt like, oh, I could be a coach. And then you worked yourself up to where you, oh, well, I might be an official or I might be an, uh, an area director or, you know, whatever. And young people today are much more demanding um, and they want social justice. They're sick and tired of... This kind of, well, let's just muddle along. world that us boomers created. Fortunately, you're a generation younger, so you don't have to take <laughs> I don't have to accept that title You don't yet, have to right? explain <laughs> that yet. I'll, I'll I'll own it for you there. <laughs> yeah, thank but, you. But they they want to know that what they're spending their time on changes the world. Yeah. And, and they have a vision for how the world should be. And they don't have any patience for our crap. You know, they, and it's the same thing when they take a job now, you know, it's like, yeah, they may be someone who's in an hourly position or whatever, but you need to respect them. Yeah,
0: and empower and,
1: and right. empower them. And so, when you do, when you say we've got a distributed leadership model that that values the leadership potential of every single person in your organization, and values the ideas of everyone, then even if they're you know at an entry level position, they feel like they're part of the mission. They feel like they're driving, and and they've they've got some influence. Um, and that makes them feel good about what they do, and that makes them stay longer, and it makes your 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 mission and your vision move faster. So you have to be able to embrace that, and, and I think that when you do that, it's kind of a fasten your seatbelts.
0: Yeah, it helps kind of the thing. whole organization, right? It activates the whole organization, and, yeah. and you're right. I think a leadership lesson there you articulate very well is that if, if we're trying to recruit this next generation of talent, but we expect them to wait until they have to advance, you know, four Mm -hmm. levels of the organization before they get to uh, assert any leadership, they're going to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah. I remember working at a bank when I was in college and I wanted to change something. I was the head teller. Thank you very much. And (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to change the way something happened and, or something process that we did. And the manager of our branch was like, no, no, not going to do it.
0: You're not authorized to even speak on that subject. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: And so finally, I looked at him and said, OK, OK, I get it. I get it. OK, um, here's the thing, though. Um, just I just need an assurance from you that we're not going to change the rules so that when I'm sitting in your chair or the chair above you, um, I get the same power. Yes, yes. Because um, this is stupid. And this is a good idea that you're putting you're just dismissing because you think I'm beneath you and so just be careful the
0: lesson there you're right there's a lesson <laughs> so,
1: there. someday yeah so these
0: young talented generation or next generation are going to be in these chairs exactly Then later as you have pointed out yes um, well Dave this is fantastic because again the, the advice you're offering I think for leaders both on their own career path and then their ability or inability frankly to bring in talent is critical and so this helps shape that. Let me ask you a couple other, I guess, what I would call your greatest hits topics. Mm. And, and you're seeing it now, I'm sure, in Vaultus. Uh, You reference the boards with which you work. I'm guessing in many cases, there's a transition. You're now working with the board. I'm finding, and I wonder what your opinion is given the COVID environment, but some boards are micromanaging, which is a challenge. <laughs> uh, others are disengaged. And what are you seeing and are there certain things you uh, and your colleagues are particularly focused on when you work with a board
1: yeah you know it's and it's funny because and it's not it's not the whole board it's individual people on the board
0: interesting good point
1: you know it's so frequently what we hear is and i've had in the last 24 hours i think i've had like three different conversations that are exactly the same oh this one board member or these two or three board members they get it they're on board they want to do this but they don't want to they don't want to offend The other board members, by saying they disagree, and I think what we're seeing now is one: COVID's got everyone kind of stressed out. You know, everyone's the 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 future is very uncertain, especially in the in the not-for-profit sector because everything's changing, and and also you kind of have to have nerves of steel, right? You know, to kind of be on a board to begin with in this place. So so that's kind of got people fatigued. Um, But there's just also this this you know. I know what I need to do, but I don't want to be, if I, if I say what I, what I'm really thinking, then is it going to piss people off? And now I'm going to have to step up into it (laughs) they're going to leave and I've got a leadership role. Um, So you've got that going on. Then you've got the people who are, I'm panicked. Um, Our organization is in transition. Um, We've got all this COVID stuff going on. And so we need to hunker down and everything, we need to just... Find a way to recreate the past, and so hmm. they're they're firmly committed to recreating the past. Which, by the way, spoiler, not going
0: to work. Yeah, that's <laughs> why we're where we are now. Probably, which right? is
1: why you are. Yeah. So those are difficult conversations. Um, the challenge is when you're when you're a consultant, or even when you're the the CEO or the executive director, having that that's a hard conversation to have. Right both with the board collectively and with the individuals so what we're finding more often is we have to to kind of say okay let's take a step back and do let's go back to boardsmanship 101 what is your role your role is governance and oversight Um, so if you're in the weeds step out of them for a minute
0: yep Yeah, that's why I'm here, right? Or you're here in an interim role, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So step out for a minute and look at your role. And it's, you know, if something goes wrong with the organization, you know, it's, you know, then it's the board they're going to have looked to, or the the people in the future will look to and say, well, what were they thinking? What were they, where were they trying to take us? If you can't answer that question, you're in trouble. So go back. Ask yourself, where are we trying to take it? And then you're just gonna have to build the nerve up to do this and confront it. And we can we can facilitate the discussion as a group, but you need to understand that each individual on that board is coming with different comfort levels, um, different history, different perspective on the organization. Um, We were dealing recently with a board chair who'd been there for like 20 years um one of those mired and we just have to go back to the past we just have to go back to the past yeah they were stuck right yeah the whole rest of the board is privately saying no that's not the way and and you they have to man up or woman up you know and and say you know look as a member of the board we need to have this discussion
0: so that did you remember was that your strategy? You had to yeah. get, empower other board members to speak yeah. up? Or how did you yeah. attack because that? Because it's
1: not, it, the the board shouldn't be following the executive director. The executive director is an employee of the board. Right. The board, the, the executive director is there to help the board navigate their own path. But they, they should control their own membership. They should control their own agendas and, and all those things. So kind of reminding them that here's your fundamental role. Go back to that. Stop worrying about all the ancillary stuff about the day to day and all this kind of stuff. Is this organization going to exist five years from now? Yeah, right. Back if, to your five so, year question. Yeah. yeah what's it going to look like? You know, and what are we as a board going to do to get there? And if someone on the board is standing in the way of that, this is not howdy doody time. You know, this is not the happy hour. You know, right. This is you you took an oath when you signed onto this board to put the organization before personalities, and you got to do that. So and it's hard, it's really hard, you know. So it's we joke sometimes that that we really should hang out here at therapist shingles. Yeah, you are
0: (laughs) you really are serving in that role, aren't you? And that yeah. Well, and I wonder again, listeners, whether or not you're going through a transition, but uh, as a leader, are you having that kind of strategic five-year vision discussions with your board? I'm afraid many are not. Right. And it's good that, you know, you are, Dave, helping provide the impetus to do just that.
1: Yeah. And it's even harder when you're in crisis. Whether the crisis is just we don't have enough money to do what we're going to do, or we've got a leadership change, you know, and so that's why the the stability really is like a godsend. Right. Right. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they can can focus
0: on the strategy questions as opposed to the, or what are we going to do tomorrow? Exactly. Well, and and speaking of topics that I'm encouraged seem to be more part of your world, my world, the nonprofit sector is around DEI. And I'm hopeful, Dave, that it's not just talk, but talk about that. Are you seeing organizations more sensitive and more intentional about issues of DEI, particularly when they're trying to assure Diverse candidates and ultimately diverse leaders at these nonprofit organizations.
1: Yeah, it's 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 especially here in the Pacific Northwest. I, you know, which is my immediate experience. But yes, we have clients that they look to see: Do we have a consultant that we can send them who is from the BIPOC community? Do we have you know people who you know are sensitive or have history in being effective in that area? it's still in this kind of amorphous world of, it's one thing to talk the talk, it's another thing to walk the walk. Right, um, right. So, so a lot of times what we'll see is a client will say, you know, we uh, we really want to use your services, but we really only want an interim or a person to lead the search if that person themselves are from the, you know, a, a, a diverse community, community. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, And, and then that's them putting their money where their mouth is, you know, you know, one of the first steps is to look at your supply chain. And, you know, and not for profits, that's the people that we hire. And do you put diversity on a high enough priority level to say, yeah, I'm willing to say no to Someone, if they don't come from that community, or at least show me that they can represent and help us move to where we need to be in this space. Right. So, and I think that last little bit is the piece that is the most challenging, but also where there's the most promise. Um, if you can show that you've done your homework, you know, the difference between, you know, it's, you know, Martin Luther King's birthday, you know, just just pass so we're and everyone you know sends out their quote yeah, you know it, yeah oh here's well, my favorite we're quote. seeing
0: it we're seeing it for sure
1: yeah uh, yeah yeah okay well that's great and and certainly those are great quotes to live by and all that but if you're only living them that you know you're only reminded of them one day that's not enough so yeah. you know so show that you know the difference between talking it and walking it. You know, if you're going to be a CEO and people and you're an organization, what are you going to do to build? Um, And it needs to be not just an immediate, you know, I can do X, Y and Z because I can assure you, you can't just do X, Y and Z and then flip a switch and your organization be diverse. Yeah, exactly going to happen. It has to be across the organization from the board to the staff and the whole staff, not just leadership. but you know what is your organization doing to create um, job pathways you know for with for with diverse people in mind and and, and diversity is not just race
0: yeah right.
1: You know, there's there are a lot of different ways to be diverse. The and and I think it really is ground yourself in why. Why is DEI so important? You know, and it should be for my mind, and of course I'm always right. Um so, which, which I'm sure you remember. That's why
0: you're that's why you're on the podcast, Dave. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go.
1: <laughs> so for my mind, the reason you should be worried about this is people from that have lived a different life than you have they have they've interacted with the world from a different perspective than you have they bring a wisdom they they bring understanding you know my son and i just just wrote an article about martin luther king and the the legacy and all that and my son's african-american and i'm white and he's going to be 30 next month which I think is hysterical. Wow, I know. I know. (laughs) Time flies, that's for sure. (laughs) I say hysterical, what I actually mean is terrifying. But um, anyway, we we wrote it and we started off and and I was coming at this whole concept of the legacy of Martin Luther King from a white man's perspective. Right Now, I've spent 30 years immersed in African-American culture, immersed to the extent that I'm raising two children that are, that are African-American and my son time, like three or four different times in this working on this article, he's like, you don't get it yet. Wow. He says, I can see, I I, I see he says, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it easier to um, pat yourself on the back. And he wouldn't even, let you
0: go that far, would he? He
1: wouldn't let me go that far.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And and he said, no, this is a struggle. And this and and I can tell you that he as an African American man. Now mind you, this is a kid who went to West Point. He's yeah, <laughs> he's like he's, he's got
0: credibility on many he's levels. He's got his own. He's <laughs> yeah, he
1: can hold his own. Um, terrified, dealing with law enforcement one day. Um, he called me and he said, he said, daddy, I, I just needed to talk and calm down. And he had been pulled over for speeding. And I said, what happened? He said, well, everything was fine this time. Um, but he was terrified in the time. And he was, this was maybe five years ago. And he said, you know, later I learned, um, in the time that he'd been driving five times, a law enforcement officer had pulled him over and come to the car with a drawn weapon. Hmm. pointed at him. Yep. That perspective is not something, I mean,
0: you and I are never going to un, no. unlikely will have to experience that. Ever. Right.
1: So, so now put yourself in a marketing director's position. You want to market a product. If you don't know what that person and and and, and it just this I mean, this is a huge section of our population. Yes, indeed. And if you don't have the wisdom to ask and to engage people with diverse perspectives, you know, talk to someone who has disability, whether it's physical, sensory, intellectual, about how they interact with the world. You're leaving huge market segments untapped.
0: Yeah. That's just pragmatic, isn't
1: it? Right. That, if that's not the reason you're doing, <laughs> if you're doing DEI because it's the new liberal cool thing to do, don't bother. Yeah, right. You know, that's tokenism. And, you know, thank you for thinking. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not. But gonna do it. yeah, it's, it's just not going to do it. And I think what we're seeing now is everyone is more savvy to that. They're more savvy to do you really genuinely? believe this or are you doing because it's the doing it because it's the cool thing so i think if you're you know i mean i'm an old white guy right you know that's you know i can't i i can't fight that um but i can come to the table and say i get i get why i need to listen to other people
0: well you just anticipated my question which is if i'm not a person of color and i do aspire to leadership in the nonprofit sector I need to be ready to articulate that in an authentic way I guess right yeah. David not just quote slogans but maybe even more specifically the question David how do or how does someone who's not a diverse candidate articulate in a way that will be meaningful
1: I think you have to come in saying I get it own 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 the privilege that you may come from right whatever it may be you can't erase it that's, you know, that's fine. No one expects you to, Yeah. but you need to come in with humility and say, I get it. I also know that I'm a good leader and a good leader learns how to listen. And I know how to find the people who can help us help educate me, help educate us as a board and who can help bring us along on the journey. Cause it's going to be a long journey.
0: Yeah. Right not you an know, overnight solution for this sure. This is not, yeah,
1: this is not, this is not going to, to, to fix this overnight, which is kind of the essence of the Martin Luther King legacy piece of this is, this is an ongoing struggle, um, but it's a struggle worth fighting. And the more people that are engaged, the easier the fight will become, but we're not there yet. And to just be able to talk that and, and to be able to talk pragmatically why it's a good thing for the business? Because so, you need to show that you're not a fake.
0: Yeah, right.
1: You know, and if you are a fake, eh. yeah, <laughs> you, need kinda, you. you need <laughs> to you need to you're not you ready. Need to look, need to you need to look in the mirror and say it's a, you know if that's you, that's you. Um, just don't apply for an organization at an organization that genuinely values this.
0: Yeah, so well put, Dave, and important advice for candidates of all types, but particularly those that need to better articulate that kind of diversity approach. And are there other things you're seeing in the best candidates and all the searches you all are involved in? Yeah. What are, I mean, I'm assuming they've got to be a fundraiser. they got to be a leader. They got to work with a board. Are, are there other things you would put on that list that the you best know, candidates I think have? It,
1: I think it's when, when we see the best ones um, it's, and it's usually it, you know, from my experience, it has come with a lot of experience, but it doesn't need to have, you don't need to have a lot of lived experience to be able to approach it this way. And I think it's the humility, first of all, um, to say, you know, who knows what we're going to face three weeks from now, Yep. you know, or five years from now. Um, so to say, but I'm someone who listens, I'm someone who understands the process of leadership who understand, you know, I've I've got humility, I've got confidence, but then you need to be able to convince. And, and we, when we see this, everyone just kind of goes, oh, <laughs> it's like,
0: you know, you've hit the jackpot. You know,
1: you, you know, you've hit the jackpot when someone says, here's the thing, I know how to lead and I know how to lead through a variety of situations, not just one, but, you know, as things come at me, You know, I don't lose my cool. I know how to lead. Um, And here's who I follow. Be able to say who you follow. Whose management style do you follow? Um, Who's an inspiration to you leadership wise? Because that then gives people a sense of, oh, wait, I could, if, if it's Lee Iacocca, then great. Right. then people can read Li book if exactly. it's Tom Peters they can read Tom Peters book you know and so who do you follow um know what you need no one has it all interesting don't don't act like you have it all be able to when i came to the board in in washington i said here's the thing i've never lived in the pacific northwest before i need you to help me navigate that because doing business here is very different than the East Coast.
0: But you were self-aware enough to know that yeah. that was an area you needed to supplement. Yeah.
1: So there's no way I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blow smoke here and just and say oh yeah I know how to do all this. Here's you know I know I'm going to need your help in these areas, um, and just kind of own that. And then why why do you want to be the new director the new leader of this? And you have to be genuine in that. Um, it's either there's in the nonprofit world there there tends to be this group of people, um, and I, I I they just kind of bounce around from one organization to the next, and it's right. like oh yeah, I can. and they consider themselves to be the the quintessential nonprofit leader because they can do it, and it's like
0: just because they bounce around,
1: yeah, and it's like okay, but but we don't want someone who's just you know like I can serve in an interim role, in any nether of organizations. Um, but, you know, you need someone who's your permanent leader, who's passionate about what you're doing, yeah. who's hungry for this, this shared vision that you have to come to life, um, not someone who can keep things moving as they were and everyone be comfortable. So be able to say why you're so passionate about this, you know, and, and those as long as those things are all genuine. You know, then then that's when we know we've got someone who is a seasoned leader who's going to be able to handle whatever comes next. Because there's some weird stuff going to happen. Well, (laughs) yeah, we all know that.
0: Well, and sorry to interrupt you because it's fantastic. And I just think that's such good advice for candidates out there that are trying to articulate what what amounts to a personal case for support, right? You just said Mm -hmm. if I can come in and make that case for authenticity, then I'm a good listener, I'm a good leader. That I am going to build on my experience, but I'm also willing to listen and learn in this new role. I just think you have Mm -hmm. strengthened your case for sure uh, as a candidate. Um, Dave, fantastic. Uh, Lots of notes I'm taking that we're going to surely include in the the show notes for this episode. I I wonder if I can ask you for a parting gift, (laughs) as you know, it's coming. Uh, Yes. uh, What about a book that's been meaningful to you or one that you might recommend to our listeners?
1: Okay. I I, I confess that I am a, Shameless, um, <clears throat> opportunistic. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm fickle when it comes to books. I just <laughs>
0: sorry. You can go with the answer that's in your head right now. That's fine. <laughs>
1: um, you know, I just as I as I was struggling, I started reading, and you know, I'd read Tom Peters before. You know, in Search of Excellence. Yeah. Um, he has a, a new one out that I'm I'm just finished. Um. And, you know, it's funny because it the, the title of it is Excellence Now, Extreme Humanism. Interesting. And, you know, if you've read Tom Peters before, you know, he's all about it's the people first. It's right. the people first. And, you know, from you can hear me talking and you can kind of hear that. That's kind of an influence of mine. But it's interesting because, you know, if you've read his stuff in the past, you read it in the context of the past. Right. And this is a book that was written during COVID. And he kind of addresses that, you know, and he, he says, this is kind of his last book. We'll see. Uh, yeah, but, right. but, you know, just the importance of valuing the people who care about what you care about um, and trusting them and, you know, putting your, your, your and, and how to, and it, it's got little exercises in it to do. Um, I don't know that all of them are, you know, mind-bogglingly new, but, you know, just something to remind us um, that some of the the tried and true management philosophies are good, but when you put it into the new context of what we're dealing with now, you know, it's just, I'm lazy, okay? I could have, I could have just read some of the other stuff.
0: Oh, let him, let him curate it for you, right? Yeah, I could,
1: I could have tried to do the squeeze it into the COVID context, but he just did it for me, so it was great.
0: Uh, um, <laughs> so. Well, as one who has In Search of Excellence on the bookshelf behind me, I'm delighted to realize uh, or learn that he has something new. And so thank you yeah. for adding it to our, our wish list here on the podcast. But today's fantastic. I'm excited to get this episode out there. Where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing at Voltus?
1: Yeah, so our website is Vaultus Group, so V-A-L-T-A-S Group. Uh, dot com uh, that's that's where we are um, guiding leadership transition for social enterprises.
0: Well, so. ex- happy to, to link people to that. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you're active on LinkedIn as well. We'll make sure people can yep. find you there. Yeah, and, and I say think-
1: when they go to the website, if they if they want to click on the blog, um, to then that helps us. Um, make sure if they want to see, because we post, you know, thought leadership articles on things like that are much along the line of what we've just been talking about. So if people are interested in that, they can click on there and then they'll be on our mailing list and we can send them Help some them
0: stuff. Out. Yeah. Dave, that's perfect. Delighted to do all of that. And I'll encourage our listeners to check out the show notes for that reason and many more. And I, again, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dave as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your professional journey and maybe gave you some things to think about as your organization contemplates this age of disruption that we are all facing. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Dave, the Voltus Group, and all of the resources connected with this episode, which is number 141. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with just one other person on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see the follow button in the top right. And it'll get you to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes, they come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing every other month. And if you like this episode, click on the episodes button on the top of the podcast page, and you can scroll through now what amounts to 141 great conversations like this one with Dave Lennox. Thanks, as always, for what you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.